Thanks for joining us. You're listening to the Life Church Podcast. In these episodes, you will hear encouraging messages from our weekend services. If you'd like to know more about us, watch a live stream, or find the closest Eastern Iowa campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. Good morning. Thank you, Wayne. Good morning, Life Church, and uh, if we're streaming to Wilton and Cedar Rapids, thank you as well for joining us. Uh, my name is Scott Collier, and uh, I, yeah, I just, what a joy it is to be here. I'm excited. Uh, like, yeah. Words. This, maybe it's a spot. Is that it? <laughs> Words, good. We'll get them out. Um, so this is my amazing wife, Charlene. Uh, she's not with me, obviously, today. She, uh, we attended church, uh, another church, and she uh, signed up to drive the bus. And when she heard I was doing it, she goes, I want to cancel. I'm like, and so she tried to cancel. She goes, there's nobody else. I'm like, well, I guess you can't come. You get to stay where you're at, and I get to come on my, on my own. But my wife and I have been married for 33 years. We have six kids, uh, 11 grandkids total, eight still alive. We have three grandkids in heaven, one stillborn. Uh, one miscarriage and one died just before his eighth birthday. Um, so we are blessed. I usually put a picture of my family on there, but I have a crazy family and I want to make a good impression. So, but my wife and I, we, we are so blessed to be able to do what we are doing. We work with rural initiatives and what that means is we get to work with rural churches, rural pastors throughout the United States. And we go in with a lot of different things that we try to do. The number one thing, uh, and I forgot to share this with the first service. I guess I should stick to my slides a little bit better. So I think the next slide shows what my main focus is, right? There we go. We focus on this. Healthy pastor equals a healthy church equals a healthy community. And I heard that this summer, I was so excited when I heard Pastor Rich took a sabbatical. Um, so important because pastoring is hard. Um, one of the most rewarding jobs in the world, but it's one of the hardest jobs in the world. Worse than even like crab fishermen, you know, the deadliest catch. That might be the most dangerous. Pastoring is the, most, the hardest job in the world. Because the reason why it's the hardest job in the world, because a church will hire, especially rural churches, will hire a pastor and expect them to do 16 things at least with excellence. Now, majority of now, you know, I say majority of you here this morning has a secular job. You got hired to probably do one thing and one thing with excellence. Majority of people can do maybe four things good. So when a pastor gets hired to do 16 things with excellence, we let people down. We miss the mark, what they hire people for, right? So that's why we focus on a pastor being healthy, spiritually, mentally, physically, and emotionally. It's, you know, that health aspect. And when we also go in and we, and we also go in the healthy church, because we know this, if the pastor's not healthy, the church is not going to be healthy, it's just, just a fact. It was proven. But if a church is healthy, then a church will have a healthy relationship in their community if they're doing church right. And that's where we come in. So we, we talk about being, the pastor being healthy, having a good, healthier church. And we talk about what's a healthy relationship in your community looks like. And what we do is with Convoy of Hope, uh, as being, you know, Convoy started out AG and, you know, you being AG, you kind of more likely know about Convoy, but a lot of people don't. And so they're mostly known as like a, a disaster relief and they do that, but they started our department for a purpose and that is to reach, reach rural America because rural America is, is declining spiritually. 4,000 churches a year are being closed up and 95% of them are in rural America. 1,000 churches a year are being planted, 95% of them are in urban areas. 
So the rural community is, is like, kind of like the lost and forgotten community. And so we get to go in and help them. And what we do, we have workshops and we go into these workshops and we kind of do a training on what's it, what's it mean to have a healthy relationship in your community. And we teach them to find the needs in their community, meet them, but also build relationships with people of influence, like the fire department, police station, and schools and hospitals. Um, our home church that we, uh, that we attend, uh, we, were, we did a big outreach yesterday. We, we did up these like mammoth uh, gift baskets for every fire department uh, employee and every police department uh, employee. We did up like over six of them or, or 60 of them and uh, we handed them out. We took them and the people were like, why are you doing this? Because we just appreciate you. They're like, what? We appreciate you and we just want you to know that we're here for you as a church. We're praying for you and we just thank you and we walk away. No agenda. So, no agenda, no agenda. Just go bless somebody. No agenda. Build relationships. Because evangelism is, is the process of evangelism. is all about relationship. And the speed of evangelism ha- happens is the speed of relationships. So we need to build those relationships. So that's what we kind of you know, do. And so within that focus in those workshops. And you being part of our supporters, and if you don't know that, uh, Life Church supports myself and my wife and what we get to do. So everything that we do, you are responsible for I shouldn't say responsible for it. That doesn't mean I kind of put it comes wrong, right? That means like if I mess up, you mess up. That's not what I mean. <laughs> what I mean is it's like you help us get to the field that we're in. And so one of the things this last year, I want to give you an update of what's happened. So that's what Convoy does, our department does. But what you got to help be part of within this ministry of what I have personally done this last year, um, back in April, my uh, director of our department called me up. He goes, Scott, do you want a truck? And I'm like, well, what do you mean a truck? He goes, would you like to have a truck? He goes, I know when you went to the missions field, you told me you got rid of your truck and you're really missing it. Would you like a truck? I'm like, where's the catch in this? This Something just sounds, doesn't sound right. He goes, listen, he goes, we have a couple of trucks in our department. If we don't put to use, they're gonna put in other departments and we don't have any access to them again. So do you want a truck? I said, what's it cost to me? He goes, you just pay for the gas. I'm like, gas, that's it? He's like, yeah. He goes, we cover the insurance, all the repairs, license, all that stuff. We, we cover everything. You just gotta cover the gas, whatever you do. I'm like. Sounds like a good deal. So I get the truck home. Here's the picture of the truck. It's sitting in my driveway. It's a GMC 3500 D, a dual diesel. This thing sucks gas like no tomorrow. <laughs> and if you have a diesel, you understand the diesel prices. And so I'm, I'm looking at this thing. I'm sitting, this was like in the springtime, right? So it's nice, not compared to today. See, nice and sunny, right? I'm sitting on my deck looking at truck. I'm like, Lord, what am I going to do with this thing? Instead of just sitting in my my driveway and uh, Spirit of God just spoke to me. He's like, you need to get some supplies and store them so that you can start moving those with a truck and taking them to churches and pastors and communities. I'm like, that's a wonderful idea, God. And so I'm like, so I'm like, how am I going to do this? So I called my boss up and I said, hey, if I would get a storage unit, I said, could Convoy bring me some supplies? And he goes, well, what are you thinking? I said, well, I've been checking around town. The biggest storage unit I can find is a 20 by 20. I said, I think I can fit it within my budget. I said, could you, I said, what would it cost me to, to bring a box truck up? He goes, Scott, he goes, let's hang on a second. He goes, I like that you're thinking outside the box. He goes, but let's make that box bigger. And I'm like, well, what do you mean bigger? He goes, whether I bring you a box truck or a semi-load, it's the same cost. He goes, so wouldn't it be better to have a semi-load than just a box truck? I'm like, yes, in theory. I said, but I don't have the money (laughs) to pay for a warehouse because I know that's where you're going, Carrie. He goes, Scott, look for a warehouse and see what God has planned. Because if God is in it, God has the money. I like your faith, brother. (laughs) 
I said, okay. So being the businessman that I am, as an ex-business person, I used to own my own business. So I called up, I found a, a couple warehouses and I found this one warehouse where I had a friend of mine who worked, uh, worked for this company. I said, hey, John, I said, can you make a connection with me to the owner of your company? He's like, why? I said, because I want something from them. And uh, he goes, yeah, I'll make an appointment for you, Scott. And so I met with him and I said, hey, you have a warehouse that's available. How much is it a month and, and what's the space? She goes, it's 4,000 square feet. I said, perfect, that's enough for one semi-load. I said, how much a month is it? She goes, $750 a month. She goes, can you afford that? I'm like, nope, I can't. I said, but you can. They're like, what? I said, hey, I said, I have my own 501c3. I said, um, as a business person, I know you're always looking for tax write-offs. I said, so hypothetically, I said, if you would like decrease the rent on the warehouse, whatever the difference is compared to market price, I can give you like a gift in kind that you can use on your taxes to, you know, to claim. And she's like, really? I said, yeah. I said, so what do you think? She goes, she goes how's 375 a month? I said, sold. <laughs> Signed the paper instantly. And I went home and Star's like, what'd you do? I said, I signed the paperwork on a, on a warehouse. She goes, you have a warehouse? I'm like, yeah. She goes, but you don't have the money. I'm like, but God does. So she goes, what are you gonna do? I said, I'm gonna make some phone calls. So I made a couple phone calls and the first three phone calls, I had $3,000 raised. Like that. God is amazing, is he not? So I called my boss up and said, hey, I have the warehouse. He's like, you're kidding me. I'm, I said, no. So I told him, and this is all a matter of two days. He goes, let's schedule you a, a semi-load, Scott. I'm like, awesome. He goes, hey, he goes, now that you have the truck and you have a warehouse and now that you have supplies coming for that warehouse, he goes, how would you like a, that's a warehouse, the trailer. <laughs> I'm like a trailer. He goes, yeah, it's a 20 foot trailer, fully enclosed. He goes, how would you like to use that to take your supplies to wherever you go? I'm like, absolutely. And the I, I missed a pick before it, sorry. Uh, but this is the warehouse, fully stocked. That was our, our very first load we got. I just got a load on Friday. Um, so we get these loads of all this non-perishable goods that we get to take to communities. And Wilton is one of those communities that we, have, you know, we help out with. And so just to let you know what, what was happened since uh, May, when we started using all the supplies and the truck and, and the trailer, uh, we have ministered to a total uh, of 52 churches. Uh, we've done some large uh, workshops where we have like seven to 15 churches come in and then Convoy brings a whole semi-load. But now because I have a truck and trailer, I'm able to go into communities that can't get seven to 15 churches. I can do a one-on-one -on -one workshop with a church and bring them supplies just for them. And so we've worked with over a total of 52 churches, uh, nation, I have, over, uh, it's pretty much just Michigan, uh, where have we been? Michigan, Omaha, Illinois, in Michigan uh, is where I've been, 52 churches total. Uh, this, this winter, I'm gonna be going to West Texas, at least I hope in twice, get out of cold Iowa. Um, boss said, hey, you wanna, I got a connection for you in West Texas, would you like to go? I'm like, yes, January, February, March, perfect. Uh, I know you want the snow. I'm from Michigan and I'm done with snow. Had enough. Um, when it's, like, it's like white Christmas, could care less anymore. Brown, I don't care. Um, but so, yeah, I have, so we get to take these one-on-one -on -one to Michigan. So out of the warehouse alone, we have moved almost $200,000 worth of product since May through the warehouse. And since, uh, last year total counting our large workshops that we have done, uh, we have helped in those 52 churches, almost a half a million dollars worth of product 
to help them go into their communities, to bless people, to meet needs, and just to, just to be Jesus in the flesh. It's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing job. I had a guy come in a warehouse the other day, we're lo- a, a pastor, we we're loading up his trailer and stuff, and uh, because we give it to, it's free. We, we just give it to him for free. Uh, because it gets donated to Convoy, and then we, we just give it away for free. And uh, the guy goes, he goes, you have a really interesting job. He goes, as a missionary, he goes, you're paid. I said, yeah. I said, we're, we're, you know, we're sponsored by friends, family, and churches. And, you know, I have a, you know, a salary. I'm not rich, but I'm blessed, right? And uh, he goes, so basically, he goes, you get paid to be Santa Claus. I'm like, yes, it is so fun. Pastor Wayne, when people come to the warehouse and we load them up and they're like, how much? I'm like, it's free. Just take it on one condition. Just go be Jesus in, in the flesh. Just go love people. Uh, it is absolutely amazing uh, what we get to do, and, and you as a church are part of that. So on behalf of my wife and myself, thank you for, for trusting us and believing in us. And, and when, if you ever see this truck and trailer going around, just know when you give to missions, you're doing this. You're putting this out on the road, helping churches, rural churches, make an impact in their town. If you want to know what that looks like, talk to Pastor Raphael in Wilton. You know, uh, he's given me some really great, you know, testimonies of what's going on over there and what they're doing. Uh, it is, it is it's so fun to hear the testimonies. One testimony that I want to share with you because it's absolutely amazing. This is back in my home state of Michigan, a little town called Dowling, Michigan, a town of 400 people. I started working with a pastor about 14 months ago-ish. And um, this little town of 400 people, he was averaging maybe a 50, 60 people a week, maybe somewhere around there. After 14 months, fast forward, you know, he's been using product. He's been, you know, uh, getting in the community, building relationships, you know, blessing the, you know, the fire station, the police station and making impact with it. You know, just the, the city officials They're now 14 months later, adding a second service next year. A town of 400 people averaging over, or get, I think they're pushing close to 200 people a week. A town of 400. It's absolutely amazing. Um, what's going on? So again, when you, if you see me out in that truck and trailer going around, you're part of that. And uh, so I love that get to, able to come and give you an update what's, what you're part of. And so uh, we need your prayers. We covet them. Uh, out on the information desk, at one of our prayer cards. Please take one of those. Pray for us um, because you're part of it. We, we need your prayers. Number one, safety. You know, pulling that... I'm not a truck driver, but pulling that truck and trailer is like being a truck driver. It's, it's, my first trip was from Burlington, Iowa to, to uh, Lansing area, Michigan. And it was the worst ride in the world. It was so bumpy. Oh my gosh, I got there. I'm like, God, just come now. This is, this is, this is a painful ride. It was horrible. Um, but we, we fixed that. We got something to do that. But, so pray for us whenever we're on the road. But, so when you know how you can keep up with us, you can go to our Facebook page, uh, Scott, Charlene, Collier, U.S. Missionaries, and we put updates on there when we're going somewhere, what's going on, prayer requests, all kinds of things that you can just keep up with. And so you can uh, ask to be part of that. Um, so that's the update on the U.S. missions and what we're doing uh, with Convoy Hope Rural Initiatives, which kind of flows into what I'm going to talk about this morning. And uh, wow, I, I, Pastor Wayne was right. God set things up unbelievably uh, from the songs that were picked out. And those songs were probably picked out for what Pastor Rich was going to preach on, right? And then what Amy talked about with Oh Holy Night and what God, and like, and Amy just set it up so beautifully. Emmanuel, God with us, came to this imperfect world as a perfect child so that we could have an encounter with an almighty God. Regular people, right? At least I'm a regular person, maybe, I don't know. Some people call me odd, unique. You know, all that. So 
But that's who God came for. That's who God came for. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to John chapter four. We're going to be in John chapter four. And we're going to kind of cover a lot of scriptures. If you have it, read it. It'll be up here as well. Um, but this is a really interesting scripture and a really interesting thought process because it stemmed from a pastor that I'm personally mentoring. That's another thing I get to do. I mentor pastors. I offer pastoring. We just don't do workshops and it's like, here's some product and you're on your own. I, I call pastors almost every day. I mentor them at all different kinds of levels. And I have a couple of beginning pastors that I get to mentor. Uh, one of them, he sends me his sermon every single week and he has me critique it. And then he goes, hey, will you listen to it too? And he has me critique it. And I love it because he wants to be a student. He wants to be a better communicator. And I'm not saying the best communicator. Obviously, I'm not. Words are hard. You know, he's like, how do you, you know? Um, but it's kind of fun. But one of those things I was mentoring with a pastor one time, and he, he dropped a statement that just, it literally, it did. It shook me to the core. And he said, Scott, he goes, we just need one person in our community to change the community. We need one person to get radically changed by Jesus for this town to be changed. And it just so happened that town that that pastor that's in was my hometown. Now, if you were here a year ago, Pastor Rich asked me when I came to share my testimony. And my testimony, I'm not proud of my past, but I'm proud that and boastful in what Jesus Christ did in me because he changed me from the person that I was. You know, the, the alcoholic, the drug dealer, the adulterer, and, and all those other things that were in my past, God delivered me. And when he said, we just need one person to get radically changed, to change our community, I started thinking back. It's like, God, at one point, I was that person in that community. I was that person. And I've been, I haven't been in mission. I've, I've moved to, to Iowa 17 and a half years ago. But now that... that I moved away from there, and now that I'm a U.S. missionary, God has allowed me to work in a whole nation because I had a radical encounter with Jesus in a Domino's pizza office. So if you weren't here last year, you don't know that, right? There was no pastor. There was no one witnessing to me. God showed up in a miraculous way and delivered an alcoholic instantly, no withdrawals. I smoked two and a half pack of cigarettes a day, quit instantly. God is an amazing God and he loves us so much that he's willing to show up outside of a sanctuary. Come on. And it's not about me, it's about him, right? And so God, God chose me in that moment, December 5th, 1992, 30 years I have been sober. I'm still messed up. <laughs> Don't clap on that. I, am, you know, I guess you can clap because I am messed up. I am messed up. I love, you know, he who began to good work in me will see it through. Some of us just take longer than others. I'm on that list. God is patient with me. Praise God he's patient with me. But I'm not the person I was in the past. I was that person at that moment. I was the one for Charlotte, Michigan in 1992. And it was all because my parents were witnessing to me, loving on me, praying for me. Even after I put my finger in my dad's face and I told him, stop telling me about your Jesus mumbo jumbo. I don't want your voodoo Jesus. Don't talk to me anymore. This is my dad. And he literally did not talk to me for eight months. But now he prayed for me. And he accepted me right where I was until December 5th, 1992, when God showed up and showed me he was real. And he changed me. I was the one. And when, I, when that pastor and I were talking about that, we got off the phone and, and, and 
again, there's this, this whole like evaluation of my life was going on and what had happened and where I'm at now. And I started thinking, and now I'm working in rural communities and, and, and preaching in churches and I, and I get to do these things. It's like, God is looking for one more. Amen or no? I would say no. God wants more than one, right? But God cares about the one. Yeah, I mentioned this in the first service. I think it's, 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 it's important to mention again because when, when pastors, when we go to, to events and stuff like that and they talk to other pastors, they always start talking about, you know, how many attend your church or how many, you know, how many, you know, you minister and they always talk about the numbers and things like that. And, and then there'll always be that one pastor. God doesn't care about numbers. That's a lie. God does care about numbers so much. He wrote a book about it. It's called Numbers in the Old Testament, right? So much so that numbers are so important that Jesus even gave a parable about the one. He left the 99 to seek the one. God cares about numbers. We're all a number. We're all one. Right? It's not whether there's 600 in a service on a Sunday morning or 700 or 50 or 25. It doesn't matter what the number that attends. What matters is, and this is why I ask pastors, don't tell people how many people are attending on a Sunday morning. Tell people how many people got saved in your ministry. How many people have had a radical encounter with Jesus that they were changed and now they're attending your church? Do you realize, and I don't think many people realize, 75% of the churches, and this is denominational-wide in the United States, have not had a single person get saved in the last year. 75%. One of the things that we, we bring home, and we bring home hard in our workshops, is this. Don't worry about being a come-and-see church. And what I mean by that, it's like, it's great to have a wonderful church, sanctuary, all, all the technology. This thing, this is awesome. This is amazing. It's amazing that we can have a place that we can come in and worship freely still in the United States, right? It's amazing to have this. But God did not call us to be a come and see. God called us to go and make. If you're just attending church, you're not doing your calling. You're not worried about the one. And somebody said, well, isn't that the staff's job? No. They're part of it. The church as a whole. We're all called to go minister to the one. Because there's people in your realm of influence that I will never meet. That Wayne will never meet. No, the staff here will never meet. There, God has placed people in your realm of influence for a purpose and for such a time as this. There is one person in your life, I guarantee you by the time that you leave here this morning, the Holy Spirit is going to be reminding you, I hope daily, every minute to be praying for them, looking for opportunities to talk to them, to witness to them, to love on them, you know, to bless them with something, whatever it is, to do something where you're going to impact their life. I pray to God that they see Jesus in you because they are the one that God put in your life. And God cared enough about you to put someone in your life to put you where you are today. In my life, it was my parents and my grandmother. My grandmother had 87 grandchildren, great-grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren, and she had three great-great-great-grandchildren. And she prayed for all of us by name every single day. I don't know what she had time to do anything else. I, I don't know. That's a long list. I have trouble getting through six kids. And their, and their spouses. 
But when I was praying about this, after I got this phone, God's just, this is what he put in my heart. God so told me this, God, Scott, the church needs one individual that's willing to be, that will listen, will be obedient. One person who isn't worried about what others think. One person who is so in love with Jesus that nothing in their life matters other than serving the one who saved him. Are you that in love with Jesus where nothing else matters? For, for believers, followers of Jesus Christ, this life is hell for us because God has promised us heaven. For those who aren't following Jesus, this is their heaven because there will be a hell. We need to be focused upon those who aren't serving Jesus, those who, don't, who, those who have not had a radical encounter with Jesus, the one. We need to focus on the one. Who is the one that God has put in your life? And somebody probably wondering, like, when is this man going to get to the scripture right now? We're there. And I'm, I'm going to read a few things, I'm going to comment on it, and then we'll go, we're going to kind of get through it. But we're going to almost cover the whole chapter of John chapter 4. Here's what it says. John, and verse, starting with verse three. So he, being Jesus, left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field of, that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Remember that, noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone to the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with the Samaritans. So Jesus said, she said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am Samaritan. Why are you asking me for a drink? Verse 10, Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. And the passage continues in a brief discussion about physical water, spiritual water, and then Jesus says this over her, a word of knowledge about her sinful lifestyle. Verse 16, and go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband for you have had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You're, you certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. And then this discussion continues about worship and the woman makes a statement about the coming Messiah in verse 25. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ, Emmanuel with us, right? Christmas time. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then the disciples came back. They were shocked. Remember that word, shocked, to find him talking to a woman but none of them had the nerve to ask, what, are, what do you want with her or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back into the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people streaming from the village uh, came streaming from the village to see him. We're going to jump down to verse 39. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village, so he stayed for two days, long enough for many more, to, many more to hear the message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. Who would ever thought John chapter four would be a Christmas message, Pastor Wayne? Never thought I'd ever preach this, but it is the savior of the world, the coming Messiah. This is a Christmas message. I had no idea when I prepared this this week, when Pastor Rich asked me to, you know, to talk, that the songs were going to be picked out, 
that, you know, the, the old holy night was to be talked about in brilliant way, by the way, Amy, what a setup for me. Thank you. And no, I didn't pay her. It was amazing. It's an amazing setup. But to really get a full grasp of, of this and why this is so important that the Christmas message within this and who is the one, we have to really get to know this woman and a lot of the cultural things that were going on and why these things happen in those few phrases that I ask you to remember. Because within this encounter, we're going to see some amazing things that we need to apply to our life and how we react and how we perceive and how we accept people. See, verse 27 gives us a glimpse into the cultural friction between the Jews and the Samaritans. Now, just to give you a background, Jews are 100% Jewish people, right? Samaritans, they considered half-breeds, half-Jew, half-Gentile, right? And there was a friction between them. And it actually started in the Old Testament, I think it was 1 Kings chapter 9-ish, uh, yeah, ten, 10 tribes were part of, of, of Israel and the two tribes were part of Judah. And there was a separation. There was a hatred towards each other. But this is why it says, they, why we need to understand what it said there in verse 27. Just then the disciples came back and they were shocked to find him talking not only to a woman, but a Samaritan woman. Half Jew, half Gentile, hatred. This passage this next passage I want to share with you shows you even what the disciples thought of Samaritans. And it's found in Luke chapter nine. They're, they're, uh, the disciples and Jesus are out there walking and they, they're, they're coming into a, a Samaritan village and the Samaritan village didn't accept them. In chapter nine, verse 54, it says this, when James and John saw, saw this, the, you know, the rejection, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? Are you shocked at that statement or not? First, the first, first service was, why aren't you? Are you awake? You with me? Come on. There's this friction between them. And the disciples who are learning about love and acceptance and, and, and just pouring out to people, they see Jesus you know, being rejected by the Samaritan village and they want to call down fire from heaven to burn it up. There's no love there. I was, I was messing with your bass player earlier because he's wearing that, the block thing that I don't personally talk about. I'm from, I'm from Michigan also, but I'm not a fan of that school. He is. I'm a Spartan. I, I bleed green. I just am. We didn't have a good year. They're having a, an okay year. Okay, we'll just leave it at that. I don't like this school. And I have many reasons why I don't like that school. And I didn't, I didn't tell you about this. So after I graduated, I moved in with four of my other friends. They were all Michigan fans. So you can imagine the torment I got, right? Uh, I, got, I got tormented. So it, it, it built up this, and I'll admit it, God forgive me, it's, there's a hatred towards that school, <laughs> right? It, it's there. God, and, you know, God's still working on me, remember? Where we, there's a, so this, but I don't want to call down fire upon Ann Arbor. <laughs> right? I, I, have, I have a little bit of sanctification. I, you know, I've grown a little bit. I'm, I'm becoming like Jesus. But I tell you what, when I was 18, living with my four friends, I probably would have. This is the hatred that was between these two, you know, cultural areas that was in there. And so it's so, so it's easy to see why the disciples were shocked when they saw Jesus talking to this woman, right? But there's so much more of this woman that, that we see through the scripture that's there that we might not grasp 
on the forefront just reading through it. Because again, Jesus shows up at a well. He's gonna get, he doesn't have anything to get water to drink. A woman shows up. She, he asks her for a drink. They talk about spiritual things. And then you know, she gives him a drink, right? And then he, she goes into town. But you're missing something. We're missing something so, so important here. Not only did Jesus accept her because of her, uh, her diversity of ethnicity, right? He accepted her even in her sin. And this is where we're going to really drive this home this morning. Because I talked about where I was before I met Jesus. What I didn't share with you, I was the outcast in my town. Literally the outcast of my town. I will never forget a day when I was about 17 years old, walking down the street in my hometown and locked eyes with someone that I didn't even know. But as soon as they saw me, they looked both ways, they looked behind them, and I could tell they're trying to find a scape route. And they jaywalked across the street. We're not supposed to be jaywalking. And just get to the other side so they didn't have to pass me. I'm not proud of my past, not proud of who I was, but I want you to understand, I was the outcast of my hometown. Not proud of it. This woman was the outcast of Sychar. And we don't know that until you understand what was going on here. So not only because she had five husbands before and the, the guy she was living wasn't her husband. You know, if you read in your Bible and you read the word fornication, that's it. Sex before marriage, right? Living with someone who's not your husband, right? This woman was considered such an outcast that she was considered worse than a prostitute or a tax collector more than likely at that time. You want to know why we know this? Because she showed up at the well at noon. Say, what's the big deal? It's hot, not like today, right? It's cold. This woman showed up at a well at noon. When in that day, in that time, women would go to the well together in the morning and in the evening and always together, never alone. She was the outcast of Sychar. People hated her so much, they wouldn't even allow her for her own safety to show up, to, to walk with them in the morning or in the evening to get water. She had to go on her own when no one else would go so she didn't have to encounter people. Basically, she was like in danger of her life. And she walked to the well by herself. She was the outcast of Sychar. I was the outcast of Charlotte, Michigan in 1992. But something radical happened. She has this conversation with Jesus. They talk about spiritual things. He, 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 he gives us word of knowledge. And in that, you know, within this conversation, she realized this is the Messiah, Emmanuel with us. This, this is the promise. I am face to face with Emmanuel. If you're watching this morning online at one of, our, one of the campuses, Wilton and Cedar Rapids, you're here or just watching online in general, listen to me. You are right in the middle of an encounter with Jesus and you don't even know it. You have an opportunity to be radically changed. And some of you might think, well, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. Of course I've been radically changed. I'm here. Praise God. Who's the one that needs to have that now? It's not just for you. Too often churches become this come and see and we get, we get so comfortable of just coming to church and we think it's enough. It's not enough. Remember when I talked about the parable, Jesus leaving the 99 to get the one? Have you left the church to go find the one? 
Are you so secure in your salvation and your walk with Jesus that you think that coming to church is enough? Are you so secure that if you drop money and offering every once in a while and maybe you know, you know, help missionary out once in a while that you're secure in your foundation that you think that's enough? It's not enough. We cannot do it by works or just showing up in church. It's not enough. You wanna know why it's not enough? Because God thought that was so, you were so important that he sent other people to do the same thing for you and he's asking you to do the same thing for the next generation. I know this church is on, on that platform and, and, uh, and on that vision, but I'll never forget uh, uh, one of our officials in, 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 our, in our district, and I, I think it's safe to say it, he put it out there in the district council one day, when uh, Gary Pilcher, he made this statement, and he made this statement when they were going through a transition within their church and, you know, and doing things differently, right? He, I guess from my understanding, and I, as a pastor, I heard it myself way so many times. Well, pastor, we, we, we've never done it that way before. Well, pastor, that's just not how we do things. Pastor, why do we have to have that color carpet? Why do the lights have to be dim? We're speaking to a culture. And Gary, Gary made this statement and it stuck with me and as a pastor because I, I, I wanted to make sure that I, I pastored the same way. And he told his people, it's like, I don't want to create a culture for you. I want to create a culture for your grandchildren for your children, for your grandchildren. Now, don't get me wrong. I think it's important to minister to everybody. And I think we can minister to everybody in diversity. But if we're not worrying about the next generation, if we're only speaking the language that we understand to, to a culture that doesn't understand that language, I hired my oldest son. Uh, he was my uh, executive pastor for a year and a half down in Burlington. And I had him uh, basically evaluate me on how I preached. My son at the time was 27. And he goes, you sure you want me to do that, dad? I said, yeah. I said, I wanna make sure that, I, I, you know, that, that your generation understands what I'm saying. He goes, all right. So the very, you know, very next Sunday or next Monday, we had our staff meeting afterwards. I said, hey, Jeremy, I said, I want you to stay. Let's talk about the message. And uh, he goes, you sure you wanna do this, dad? I said, yep, I wanna do this. And so he pulls out this notebook and he's like flipping. I'm like, what in the world? I thought it was a good message. We're like five people get saved that Sunday. I'm like, what? He goes, do you want me to be completely honest with you? I'm like, yeah. He goes, do you want to speak to my generation? I said, absolutely. He goes, all right, let's go. I'm like, oh my gosh. Really? My goodness. Okay. Um, I'm going to speed this up. Listen fast. So anyways, I learned that I needed to speak the language. And as Christians, we get so caught up in Christianese, justification, sanctification, redemption, right? The people who don't know Jesus, who've never been set foot in a church today, have never heard that before and doesn't know it. And he told me, he's like, Dad, you gotta speak a different language. It's, we, he goes, I understand, we need to talk about sin. We need to talk about redemption. He goes, but you need, you need to give the definition of it. People need to understand what it is. And when we look into the one that we need to reach, we need to make sure that we're speaking the right language. Jesus spoke the language of this woman. So my question to all of us this morning, no matter where you live, but I'm going to speak to Iowa City this morning. Who is the one for Iowa City? This woman was the one for Sychar. Who is the one for Iowa City? Who is the one for Johnson County? Wherever you live, name that. Who is the one, Lord? Who is the one that God has put in your realm of influence that's the one that he wants you to minister to? Who is the one that's going to not only have impact in their community, but maybe in the entire world? Who is the next Billy Graham? Come on. Don't get so comfortable in your relationship with Jesus that you're just stuck on just coming to church. But maybe you're here today 
and you are the one. Maybe someone forced you to come. Maybe they bribed you because they told you they'd take you out to dinner afterwards. You had no idea what you're going to encounter, what you're going to hear. Let me hear. Let me tell you this. And I tell you, hear me. Please, please hear me. Jesus loves you right where you're at, but he doesn't want you to stay there. He's promised us abundant life, a better life. And it's him. He is the answer of the world. He is Emmanuel with us. And he wants to minister to you this morning. Whatever everyone stands, we get prepared to close. If you are the one, you have an opportunity right now. With every eye closed and head bowed, I want to give you an opportunity. If you want to have that radical encounter with Jesus, it is so easy. If that's you this morning, it's a quick challenge. I don't do a whole bunch of things. If you need Jesus, you want that radical encounter with Jesus, that's you this morning, you are the one, would you just raise your hand and say, Scott, that's me. I need Jesus in my life. I need to be radically changed. Just raise it up. Let me see it. Hallelujah. Anybody else this morning? Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. For the rest of us, if you've been following a Jesus, I pray that God would convict you so much every single day that there's someone out there that he, he has given you influence with, that he's given you a relationship with, that he's gonna use you to walk them into that radical encounter with Jesus. After I pray, if you raised your hand to accept Jesus, your savior, we have prayer teams on the right and the left. If you need prayer for anything, they're here for you. I pray to God, next time I talk to Pastor Rich, we, we hear about those radical encounters. Radical encounters, because that's what God wants for all of us. Father, I thank you for this moment. I thank you for this time, Lord, that we had to dive into your word to see the truth, Lord, that no matter what is going on, Lord, around us, no matter what someone is going through, Lord, that we need to love everyone right where they're at, just like Jesus loved this woman at the well of Sychar, the Samaritan, the outcast. Lord, there's so many outcasts in our world today, Lord, that we might overlook, that you care about, Lord, the transgender, the homosexual, the politicians, the lawyers, Lord, the, the liars, the stealers, Lord, the, the gang members, the murderers, the pedophiles, Lord, they're all numbered, but they're all your children. Lord, we don't have to accept what they're doing, but God, we need to accept who they are and they're your children. So Lord, may we be, have compassion and love and, re, and respect for them, Lord, for who they are, not what they're doing. And may we be used by you. Empower us with your spirit. And Lord, for those who said that I need a radical encounter with Jesus, Lord, I pray, Lord, that they have it. They know that you're real. They know that you're God. They know that, Lord, that when they, Lord, when they truly accept you, Lord, Lord, they don't live in this past world anymore, Lord. They're a, they're a new creation in Christ, Lord. Their name is written down in the Lamb's book of life. Hallelujah. Lord, all of heaven right now is rejoicing for every single person. Lord, is going to accept you as our Lord and Savior. And Father, we thank you for all your promises and we thank you for what you're doing for us. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen and amen. <laughs>